Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corrine Pettit, and joining me today for a discussion about celiac disease is registered and licensed dietitian and wellness coach, Brittany Link. As a dietitian affiliated with Advice for Eating based in Houston, Texas, Brittany counsels clients on healthy habits that help improve their lifestyle by addressing issues related to weight loss, disease prevention, and specific dietary needs. She has a special interest in vegan and vegetarian, gluten-free, dairy-free, anti-inflammatory, and FODMAP-friendly nutrition plans. Today, we'll focus primarily on celiac disease, since many of you have questions about what it is, if there's a connection to psoriatic disease, and what you can do if you are diagnosed with celiac disease or gluten sensitivity. If you find the information from today's podcast helpful, please send us your comments at podcast at psoriasis.org. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome, Brittany. It's great to have you on Soundbites today. Thank you for taking time to join us. About 2 million Americans have celiac disease, which, according to a recent article in the American Journal of Gastroenterology, has been increasing 7.5% per year over several decades. In recent years, that popularity for gluten-free diets, either due to celiac disease or gluten sensitivity, has really skyrocketed. Why the popularity, and perhaps to help put this into perspective, can you please explain what celiac disease is and how it differs from gluten sensitivity? Hi, Corrine. Thank you so much for having me. So celiac disease is an autoimmune disease. And what happens is with celiac disease, the body cannot process gluten. And in response to being exposed to gluten or foods that contain gluten, what can happen is the villi in our small intestine will actually flatten and become damaged. Now, this is important because the villi in our small intestine are involved in nutrient absorption. So if celiac disease goes untreated, you can see someone start to have some serious problems related to nutrient malabsorption. So that's where celiac disease differs from gluten sensitivity. Those with gluten sensitivity will experience similar symptoms to someone who has celiac disease, for instance, the bloating, stomach discomfort, fatigue, etc. But gluten sensitivity is more of a short-term issue in terms of you experience those symptoms after consuming something with gluten, but you don't have the long-term health effects on the small intestine that celiac disease can have. I think a part of the reason that the popularity has gone up is just us becoming more aware of it and more people knowing to get tested or asking to get tested and getting diagnosed. And how does celiac disease and gluten sensitivity differ from a wheat allergy? Good question. So people who have a wheat allergy experience an immune response to a number of food proteins that are found in wheat, one of which is gluten. So with celiac disease, it's the immune response to specifically gluten, where wheat allergy, gluten, and a number of other food proteins can elicit that immune response. 
with a wheat allergy, the response is temporary. So somewhat similar to gluten sensitivity in that it's not going to cause the long-term damage to the small intestine that celiac disease will. One thing that's interesting is a wheat allergy can actually be outgrown where celiac and gluten sensitivity cannot. Oh, that's interesting to know. So compared to gluten sensitivity or wheat allergies, what's the difference between celiac disease, irritable bowel syndrome, and Crohn's disease? So irritable bowel syndrome can have somewhat similar symptoms to celiac disease. So some of those symptoms we discussed earlier about bloating, constipation, gas, diarrhea, stomach discomfort. But irritable bowel syndrome is not related specifically to consuming gluten. And it's not actually an autoimmune disease. So it's not the body reacting and attacking itself in the same way, but it does have similar symptoms. So the symptoms are similar, but the long-term consequences, again, that can come with celiac and nutrient malabsorption are not necessarily happening with irritable bowel syndrome. And then the other question was about Crohn's disease. So Crohn's disease is also an autoimmune disease as celiac is, but it's characterized more by inflammation of the body, ulcers, and actually bleeding in the digestive tract. So the symptoms with Crohn's disease are going to be slightly different than those with celiac disease. Oh, well, thank you for distinguishing between the three diseases. That's helpful. Are there any lab tests that can be done to diagnose celiac disease? Yes. So there are two blood tests that can be done to help diagnose celiac disease. Now to fully diagnose it, there would be more invasive testing. But to get started, there are two blood tests. One is called serology testing. And this testing looks for antibodies in your blood and elevated levels of certain antibody proteins can actually indicate that there is an immune response to gluten. And then the other blood test that can be done is genetic testing. And with that, you can test for human leukocyte antigens that can be used to rule out celiac disease. So neither of them are going to say you definitely have celiac disease, but if either of them indicate that you still may have celiac disease, then you would go on to the more invasive testing of getting an endoscopy and checking with a camera to see your small intestine and potentially taking tissue samples or a biopsy to see what kind of damage has been done to those villi we were talking about earlier. And what do you recommend to someone who thinks they may have symptoms of either celiac disease, gluten sensitivity, Crohn's disease, or irritable bowel syndrome? The first thing I recommend is to make an appointment with your doctor. Make an appointment to get tested or speak to your general practitioner who then can refer you to the appropriate doctor to go see, but don't try to handle it on your own. Make sure that you're taking the steps you need to actually get a diagnosis. Yeah, those are great recommendations. Are there any foods that are easily identified with or have hidden sources of gluten that can trigger celiac disease? We see a lot of products in the supermarket that say gluten-free. That's a great question. So gluten is the name for specific proteins that are found in wheat and barley and rye typically. So any product that says whole wheat or has barley or rye in it, you, you will know to avoid if you have celiac disease. 
So what gluten is doing, it's acting as the glue in food products. So it's helping them stick together and maintain their shape. So you typically think of that in things like breads and pastas, tortillas, but gluten can also be hidden in certain foods like sauces and dressings where you're thinking of something that's going to help to kind of keep them from separating as well. So making sure that you're looking at ingredients on different sauces and dressings as well. Yeah, and it's not just food. Isn't beer considered a potential trigger as well? Yes, great question. So most beer does contain gluten as beers are typically brewed using grains that contain gluten. So again, wheat, barley, or rye. You're right, it's not just food. There are other things that can have gluten as well. So thinking about things that are on or going around your mouth, things like vitamin and mineral supplements, lipstick products, even toothpaste and mouthwash. So making sure that you're really reading the ingredient labels. So in follow-up, if someone is not diagnosed, but they suspect they have celiac disease, should they just eliminate gluten from their diet completely? How do you feel about the elimination process to try to identify the source of gastrointestinal issues? I think it's really important to first contact your doctor and try to get tested before trying a gluten-free diet. So one thing that a lot of people don't actually know is eliminating gluten from your diet before you get these tests can actually skew the blood test results to make them look normal if you haven't been exposed to gluten for some time. So making sure you get tested before you eliminate can be really important. And then elimination diets can have a time and place and they can be very helpful, but you always want to make sure that you're doing testing before you eliminate a food from your diet. Yeah, great advice again. Thanks. So a similar question, if someone suspects they have celiac disease, should they run out and buy gluten-free foods? Again, you want to get tested before you eliminate the gluten from your diet. So I, I would make an appointment to get tested before starting to completely change your diet. So when you see a client who's recently been diagnosed with celiac disease, what nutrition tips do you usually provide? What are the best foods to eat? So the first thing I typically do with client who's been newly diagnosed with celiac disease is I provide them with a list of common foods to avoid or that have gluten in them. And then I also provide them with a list of alternatives to those foods. Because if we just tell clients, you can't have this and you can't have that, then it can seem really overwhelming. So instead, I like to talk about things that they can have as well. I also like to provide a gluten-free shopping list. That way, when they go to the grocery store, they're not totally overwhelmed and having to look at every single food label. And then what we typically do is we go through what they typically eat in a day or what they typically eat in a week and talk about how to substitute products that contain gluten in them with other products. Now, for any client who comes and sees me, whether they have celiac disease or not, I typically recommend incorporating more fruits and vegetables and whole foods. So many of those are naturally gluten-free. Yeah, and we know that a lot of people feel there's a connection between celiac disease and psoriasis. While data is limited, in 2019, a meta-analysis was conducted that found those who are newly diagnosed with celiac disease have a higher instance of new onset of psoriasis. Do you feel that individuals with psoriasis and bowel issues should be screened for celiac disease? I do. I think it's always best to rule it out if there's any concern. Start with the less invasive testing, doing that blood work that's not 
quite so intensive and then go from there. But as we've started to see more and more people are getting diagnosed, I think because it's just more prevalent and people are looking for it more, but it's always best to rule it out rather than just questioning it and trying different diets without knowing what's really going on. And couldn't the same principle be said for the elimination of nightshade vegetables, which a lot of people with psoriasis feel flare their disease? Is that correct? Exactly. And so what is probably the best change in nutrition people who have psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis could do if needed? So depending on where the person is, weight loss is always recommended for overall health. If someone needs to lose weight, it's going to help lower the risk of a number of health-related conditions for instance, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure. The other thing it's really going to help do is relieve pressure on our joints, which is where a lot of the pain can come from. And then the other thing I typically recommend is to just start incorporating more fresh foods, fresh fruits and vegetables into your diet. So focusing less on taking foods away and focusing more on incorporating foods that are good for your health. And then, of course, if you do suspect that you have a gastrointestinal issue or celiac disease, to follow up with a physician and actually get diagnosed before changing your diet. So speaking of dietary changes, how do you feel about the Mediterranean diet? So typically, I don't recommend specific diets for clients unless they need to eliminate a food such as gluten. The one typical exception is the Mediterranean diet because overall what it is, is just a really healthy balanced diet. It's not something that's incredibly strict or difficult, as difficult to stay on. It can be a diet that someone can maintain for a a lifestyle, which I really like. So I think the Mediterranean diet can be a great diet to follow. So in closing, where can people go to learn more about celiac disease as a whole? The best resource, I think, is the Celiac Disease Foundation, which can be found at celiac, C-E-L-I-A-C dot org. Well, thank you, Brittany, for providing such an informative look at celiac disease. Hopefully this information will encourage those who are not sure if they have celiac disease to follow up with a healthcare provider. For more information about dietary recommendations for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis from the Foundation's Medical Board, listen to Episode 59 with Dr. April Armstrong titled, Can Diet Help Your Psoriasis or Psoriatic Arthritis? If you have questions related to psoriasis, contact the MPF's Patient Navigation Center at education at psoriasis.org. And finally, thank you to the following sponsors who provided support on behalf of this program through unrestricted educational grants. Amgen, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Janssen, Novartis, Pfizer, and UCB. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Ghana, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.